Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello, and welcome to Film Chat, a podcast all about an old man called Hardy Greaves, who has had five heart attacks while playing golf, but refuses to stop playing golf. After he suffers his sixth heart attack while playing golf, his wife asks him why he loves golf so much. Hardy tells her that he was inspired to play golf by his childhood golfing hero, Sam Foster. Sam was the best the game had to offer and seemed destined for greatness. However, his plans for golf superstardom were interrupted when he went off to fight in World War I. Traumatized by the violence he witnessed there, Sam became a reclusive drunk who didn't golf. Years later, during the Great Depression, Sam's ex-girlfriend Adele, not the singer, hosts a golf tournament and convinces Sam to enter. Sam initially sucks at golf, having not played it for years, but when a mysterious tramp called Danny Moran volunteers to be his caddy, he miraculously gets his golf mojo back, is what I would be saying if this was a pod adaptation of the classic 2000 film, The Legend of Bag of Vance. This is in fact just a podcast where we talk about and review films. I'm Danny Moran and joining me is a man who always comes under par and gets an eagle when a birdie would... I don't know what golf is. <laughs> Sam Foster. Hello. You're probably wondering why Danny and I are clutching glow sticks and wearing wacky plastic visors. It's because we're reviewing two great films and we're ready to rave. They are the sumptuous erotic thriller The Handmaiden from the twisted sexy mind of old boy director Park Chan-wook and the coming of age horror Raw from the twisted sexy mind of debut filmmaker Julia Ducaneau. We'll also be talking about a pair of upcoming projects looking at the state of America through the respective lenses of post 9-11 Islamophobia and the post-industrial immiseration of so-called Trump country in Appalachia. This podcast is hosted by world authorities on these topics so fetch a notepad and pencil and get ready to learn from us. We're going to be saying some smart, well-informed stuff. Plus, we'll be excitedly breaking some major Harry Potter news, which will be stale and familiar by the time this episode is released. All that should leave just enough time for me to transcend this earthly realm and become a being of pure light, a state of bliss which will significantly improve my film reviews. As an incorporeal spirit free from the chains of suffering and desire, I will no longer stumble over my words or offend anyone with the accidental use of bigoted or discriminatory language. Dwelling on a higher plane of existence will also allow me to produce better jingles, remain consistently on mic during recording sessions, and denigrate with much more fluency the films of that smug, aristocratic fuckhead Matthew Vaughan. His film suck. Films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. He's good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love. Films, Lars von Trier films, old films, new films, some John 
Hello, this is Dominic Cooper, actor, lover and schoolboy. I'm calling round every film blog and podcast to promote my new film, which is called Film Critics Are The Best. I play Guardian film critic Peter Bradshaw, who writes an incredibly good column, and the Queen gives him an award. We've also got Henry Cavill in the film, playing Mark Kermode, Jonah Hill as Simon Mayo, and Scarlett Johansson as Camilla Long. In the film, they all do important work enriching our culture, entertaining and provoking people, and they are widely acknowledged as indispensable heroes. I'm just calling to say that uh, the first reviews have just come in, and the critics are loving this film. Peter Bradshaw is calling it vital. Kermo describes it as powerful and mesmerising, and Camilla Long called it a legend safari for clever clogs, which she intends as a compliment. Film Critics are the Best is coming out this Friday. We all take our shirts off in it. Also, George Clooney plays a little-known podcaster who turns out to be the smartest one of all. Something tells me you are going to love this film. Go see it. Thanks. Bye. Wow. Little voicemail from Dominic Cooper there. Pretty exciting. We don't normally hear from him. In fact, we've never heard from him. Well, yeah. I rarely check the film chat voicemail, to be honest. I don't know who's got that number. I don't even know who set up that number. I don't even know what the number is. I don't even know what the number is, but that's a good thing someone's checking it because otherwise we might have missed that. Other than that, though, we don't have any correspondence for this what week. What the bloody hell's going on with our listeners? What's They're just not even... They've, they don't even have the respect to send us some tumbleweed uh, or the sound of whistling, uh, howling wind, you know? I mean, I listen to fucking Commode and there's, they get, like, they're in a day with these sycophants talking about... They don't even have comments. They're just like, I was driving a truck and luckily the banter kept me from veering off the road and killing somebody. In despair. In despair. In my own miserable life. Thank, keep it up, with attainment. Where the fuck do we have these losers calling in? Maybe we need to... Maybe our, let's say our listeners are too fucking cool. They haven't got time. They're too cool. Maybe, maybe we need to cultivate a audience of haters by we becoming more controversial. We need to be more you know, didactic and... This is why, you know, this is why the alt-right has that big YouTube presence, because they're controversial. They say things that, you know, society deems unacceptable because they're, you know, racist. Can we be, like, woke-right? Or alt-woke? Alt-woke. Like, be progressive and cool, but pro- provocative at the same time? Yeah. Like, can we tread that line? I think you can be ultra-woke. I think all you have to do is slag off absolutely everything as, you know... As being a bit racist. As being racist or sexist or imperialist. Or classist or something like that. Moonlight. Racist. Imperialist dogma. It's <laughs> disgusting. It just promotes uh, American uh, world hegemony. It's about diversity, but where are the white people in it? There's only black people. That's not diverse. Yeah, that's just one race. That's not ultra-work. You've gone back to alt-right. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up.
shit. <laughs> you you veered you veered straight back. You veered straight back to all right. Maybe that could be the dynamic though. Yeah. We're both obsessed with identity politics. You from the right, me from the left. And we battle it out. Yeah, yeah. It's like crossfire. They got like taken off the hair like twenty years ago. Yeah. So You're like Hannity, I'm like Alan Combs. Uh, yeah. back in, you know, whenever that whenever those guys are on T V. Sure. What what would be a good like in terms of English public figures, who would, you know, butt heads most spectacularly on television? Like Frankie Ball and Jeremy Clarkson or something? Um Mark Steele and I don't know. <laughs> Toby Young. Toby Young. <laughs> that would make that would make for great uh television. Yeah and radio. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, we'll work on becoming more Andrew popular. Lawrence and uh Martin Lawrence. And Martin Lawrence. <laughs> and Lawrence Lowen and Bowen. <laughs> he seems quite cool, you know, he's just like a cool guy. Is he a cool guy? <laughs> it just seems like he'd be quite liberal. He wears a lot of frilly shirts. He seems pretty Tory to me, to be honest. Lawrence Lawrence Lowen Bowen. Do you not think? I mean he's like the you know, an interior decorator television presenter. I don't know. It doesn't seem like I thought he I went to art, he went to art school though, so I don't know, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm suspicious. Well, we'll do some research into Lawrence Sewell and Bowen's political positions uh, and make that the focus of our next episode, see if we can get some more listeners that way. Superhero films announced, casting rumours leaking out. M. Night Shyamalan's film is hated, Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated, Meryl Streep's Oscar tips, Matt Damon's in a viral vid, Michael Bay's made a mint, that's the news that's fit to print. Ron Howard, great director Ron Howard, one-time child star, now uh, man fated star. man star, adult man star and filmmaker. He most recently made Inferno, the uh, latest uh, Dan Brown film, latest in the Dan Brown trilogy. It's certainly the strangest and possibly worst one. I don't know. It's pretty bad. And uh, he also made a Peter's documentary called Eight Days a Week. And he is lining up his next project. And it's going to be an adaptation of a best-selling memoir called Hillbilly Elegy. This is by an American writer called J.D. Vance, who, well, as the memoir explains, grew up poor in Appalachia and then managed to escape and go to college. I think he went to Yale and then he became a kind of Silicon Valley entrepreneur. Now he's a conservative writer. He writes for the National Review and, you know, is a general sort of media guy. And this book came out last year and was a very topical read because it was exploring the lives of poor white working class americans which is obviously a a source of nationwide and even international fascination because they are considered to be the trump constituency although this is obviously disputed but it became basically an explanation for a, a large part of the sort of pundit class in america who uh, were looking to understand why it is that all of these uh, poor people don't love Hillary Clinton, basically, and why they why they all flock to Trump, even though Trump is a nasty and grotesque man. And yeah, it's it's an interesting choice. I mean, I, I I've heard about this book already because uh, they they talk about it on an episode of left wing podcast Chapo Trap House, in which they sneer at it at length, spend about one solid hour sneering at it, basically because the conception that he's promoting is one that flatters the imagination of a certain kind of liberal uh, pundit as as well as conservative ones, which basically constructs the issues that face the white working class as cultural ones. And that there's this kind of culture of like laziness and they're just like miserable and they don't, you know, they don't, they're not pulling themselves up by their bootstraps, essentially. It's lazy, feckless. I'm glad I don't have jobs and their lives are shit. 
because they should be, I don't know, like this guy. Why yeah. can't I be more like Vance? He seems like a great guy. Yeah, so it's Vance. I guess it's like, yeah, it's sort of partly like a kind of story of success, like a roadmap, you know. This is how you get out. You just got to work hard and, and... He did the American dream, right? Yeah. And th- and this this narrative is um, convenient or flattering uh, to Democrats or a certain kind of Democrat because by putting the emphasis on cultural factors rather than on economic factors, it means you don't really have to change your platform which is was never been a particularly good economic offer from the democrats and they don't need to worry about the fact that they're totally alienated because like if you don't know anything about what these people's lives are like if there's a story that comes to you that tells you that they're all kind of like lazy racists then you don't even need to go and investigate them any further sure because they're actually just a problem that you have to solve well rather than it being something that you know economic policies that you uh, your administrations that you supported have subscribed to for decades yeah you know, um, let these people down and down and hollowed out their um, existence and like fuck them over then that's requires you to reorient your politics a bit here is a quote from his book as quoted in a uh, review of it in the new republic by sarah jones he says we spend our way to the poorhouse i could do this in a, a comical hillbilly voice go we spend our way to the poorhouse is that <laughs> More. <clears throat> we spend our way to the poor house. <laughs> I couldn't go any. I was already at 125% there. <laughs> less. Hey, less. Ma! Hey, Ma! We spend our way to the poor house. Uh, he continues, we buy giant TVs and iPads. Our children wear nice clothes thanks to high interest credit cards and payday loans. We purchase homes we don't need. That's a great line. <laughs> Refinance them for more spending money and declare bankruptcy, often leaving them full of garbage in our wake. Thrift is inimical to our being. They don't even clear out the garbage they leave These people are in the homes they don't need. You know why the white working class is in a difficult position in America? It's because they all bought seven homes. Yeah. And then they had to declare bankruptcy because they... they had to foreclose on six of their seven homes. They caused the entire economic crisis. They caused. They caused it. It was the white working class. The story. Bloody the hell. story of the financial crash in America is one of these like upstanding estate agents and like hordes of poor white people clamoring yeah. to buy homes to them and like, please lend us money, please. I've only got four homes. I need another one. And the guy's like, oh come on, I don't know. Like, I don't know how much money you make as a cleaner. And they're like, oh. I don't care. I just. T- it's just. I just borrow. I pay you back. I'm good for it. And he's like, well, I'm nice. I'm a nice, responsible citizen and say, you, you've really twisted my arm. Yeah. And that, that happened across the country and thereby crashed the world economy. <laughs> Tra- tragic. This feels like the film you wish they weren't making. You know, this whole thing yes. about like, <laughs> yes. you know, how would Hollywood respond to the Trump administration yeah. by being completely set in their ideology and not at all dealing with the situation, the complexity it needs. Yeah. The movie probably won't be about how they all, you know, that whole culture of people is awful, but it will probably just be about how uh, you know it's sad out there now when you didn't no one has jobs and everyone is like feeling you know anxious and concerned but one guy made it out he made good and it's this kind of i think the danger i mean we don't know until the movie is made of course but the danger is that it will play into you know that essentially that the bullshit american dream style narrative yeah where all you really need is like a bit of elbow grease and you can achieve whatever you want and the, the fact that the economic system in America has, you know, destroyed these people's lives is, like, not... Yeah, it's neither here nor there. Neither here nor there. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to know because, like, Ron Howard is a pretty... I wouldn't say bland, but it's kind of fairly kind of journeyman 
yeah. director, even though his last film, Inferno, was terrible, he's generally considered like a sort of safe pair of hands, just does like a pretty, like Clint Eastwood or something, you know, just makes a coherent film. I think the thing is that stories of personal sacrifice and triumph are seen as apolitical, but a story about a system that failed people is political. Yeah. So if you hire the journeyman director, he will make the quote-unquote non-political version. Yeah, yeah. Which it just affirms the system, you know? I think that's... Yeah. That would be that would be my guess. Because if, if he took some... You know, any kind of movie that was about how the economic situation in America had failed these people would be considered to be a political film you know it would be seen as being an attack on uh on an economic system or whatever political system uh and if you don't do that then you're making by definition a reactionary movie yeah yeah. so i agree i imagine it will be bad calling it now it's gonna suck if only there was a brilliant auteur who would tackle a sort of modern look at america and the central lie of its projected image that's the i just made that up i didn't even write that down incredible so fluent and there is such a man his name pablo lorraine it's been 10 days since i've seen the pablo lorraine movie i'm jonesing for a new lorraine fix sure you're, Luckily, sw- you're sweating and shivering yeah you probably notice i'm like a fucking wreck at the you've moment. broken out in hives i've watched no four times a day but it's just not working <laughs> it's not enough um he is attached to direct a movie called the true american back in 2014 this was going to be a Catherine bigelow project starring tom hardy she's since left and made the chicago riots document is it detroit riots detroit sorry the movie is called detroit and it is about detroit yeah is it uh, what's that movie called i think it's about the (laughs) chicago riots it's called detroit she's off she's gonna made this film tom hardy was attached and he stayed attached and now pablo lorraine has signed on the True American is based on the nonfiction book of the same name, and it tells a story of Rasudin Buyan, who was a Bangladeshi Air Force officer who longed to live in America and finally achieved his dream. But after finding temporary work in a Dallas minimart, cruel fate intervened. Where a few days after 9/11, self-styled American terrorist Mark Stroman walked in the store and shot him, as I guess some sort of revenge on the Muslims' yeah. sort of madcap scheme. And the story gets weirder there because Strowman sat on death row while Boone recovered from his injuries and then went to death row and forgave him and started a campaign against the death penalty in their state. And that sort of act of incredible human compassion. And yeah, so Tom Hardy is going to play Strowman and Pablo Lorraine is going to tackle it. I love Lorraine. This sounds amazing. Yeah, I think it sounds really exciting because Pablo Lorraine is doing it and that he, uh, I haven't actually seen any of his movies, but from what you've told me about them, <laughs> um, it sounds like he really engages with his material and has a take on it, you know, and that there's like yeah. a dialogue between the material he uses and him as a filmmaker, that he's putting himself into it. So I feel like this, there's more chance this movie really have something to say because I can, I can imagine the sort of Ron Howard version of this film, <laughs> you know, where it's just a sort of incredibly sentimental like TV movie of the week type story. Yeah. Well, the three films of his I've seen, of Pablo Reigns' films, have all been about the juxtaposition of someone's public persona. It's all about reality and how it's presented to the masses. Yeah, yeah. And there's something inherently cool about, well, well cool about this story, about this man who was shot, but like the idea of how after 9-11, the uh, definition of terrorism changed. And before then terrorism was like the oklahoma bomber like kind of white trash neo-nazis and then suddenly it's all like islamified after 9-11 yeah and the fact that like literally days after like a white guy 
fulfilled the now outdated definition of a terrorist. <laughs> right. And yeah. this weird, you know, where America just readjusted to their idea of a terrorist is kind of like an interesting ground to place a movie. Yeah, definitely. And it's also, I mean, it'll be interesting to kind of go back and re-examine how America felt right after 9-11 because it feels like we are now living in a kind of post-2008 world or maybe even a post-Trump world. Yeah. And that for a long time, everything was like, oh, since 9-11 this, since 9-11 that. And we're obviously still living in the shadow of that event. But I guess the contrast would be an interesting one to explore, especially given now that we have a, um, a, a finally have a president more clownish than George W. Bush, who was the ultimate clown president at the time. He got he got out clowned. Yeah. In spectacular fashion. So the perspective that we have on those days, you know, it'd be like, oh, you remember that innocent time right after the terrorist attack that killed 3000 <laughs> people and like they, yeah. they launched this global endless war. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Be, be curious. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I really like Tom Hardy, and I'm glad he's working with a good director. Stop making projects with Stephen Knight. That guy's not a good writer. He's yeah. not a good director. Don't be in Peaky Blinders Series 9 or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Just make good films with actually talented people. Yeah. Um, to, yeah. And he's all, he mean, yeah, I can already imagine the performance he's giving here in this movie as this, like, <laughs> intense, you know, uh, racist guy. What do you reckon his accent's going to be like? Incomprehensible, I assume. Every single performance he does is from a country inhabited solely by him. You know, it's some weird part of the world. <laughs> Only Tom Hardy comes from there. And even though all his accents are different, they just sound like no other person. So that that, that makes him an exciting. This is payback for 9-11. <laughs> I hope he does it in his Bane voice. If only. That seems a shame. That voice is so good. He can't just use it on one film. I shot you, and now you forgive me. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Sam and Danny both watched a film and they decided to record a few opinions on the things they saw. You're gonna hear them in a moment or so. There could be angry disagreements, but their views are normally quite close. A joint review shared between two podcast brothers. Do they let one another speak or do they interrupt each other? The light is on, the guys are in, so let the chat begin. Start talking now. Handmaiden. This is the new film by Park Chan Wook, most famous for directing Old Boy, and is written by him and Chung Se Kung, adapted from the Sarah Waters book Fingersmith. And the premise is in Japanese occupied Korea at around somewhere in the 1900s, con man operating under the false identity of Count Fujiwara hires a pickpocket named Suk Hee from a family of con artists to become the maid of a mysterious Japanese heiress called Lady Hidiku. Uh, whom Fujara plans to marry and then commit to an asylum in order to steal her inheritance. Sukhi, taking on the name Tamako, enters Hidiko's household, which is controlled by uh, her uncle, Uncle Kazuki, who is an evil, malevolent man. And from there, there are twists, turns, everything's very sexy. Production design, you out of the wazoo, yeah. into a sumptuous, erotic thriller. Come mystery, come 
dissembling of the patriarchy kind of movie. This movie has everything, I think. Yeah. Kind of brilliant. It does. It's really good. I've thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, I loved it. I saw it at the LFF and I was like, this is great. And six <laughs> months on, I'm like... Still great. Still great. It's exactly the sort of film you want to see at a film festival. You know, if you like, got to watch all these movies all the time, you don't really know what you're getting into. <laughs> Each movie's got to fight for your attention. You know, you haven't sorted out. And it's uh, this film is extremely entertaining. Yeah, I loved how playful it was. It's this constantly twisting, turning narrative. But at the same time, it has real heart and has a very genuine romance in it. And Parjim Wook's work, I haven't seen that much of it, but it's got this kind of black humour... Uh, which this movie has in spades. But it's also, his other work is quite nihilistic and often ends with a lot of gory death and nothing means anything anymore kind of conclusions. But this one has a certain hopefulness to it. Yeah. Which is kind of refreshing and makes just the whole thing... Well, it's kind of like... It's very satisfying. It turns turns out to be the general tone of the movie is some kind of swashbuckling adventure. Yeah. And uh, I guess that's kind of hinted at from its fable-like concept you know when this like poor pickpocket girl gets sent to live in this huge fancy mansion and she's got to scheme her way you know and survive and stuff and it has that slightly fantastical element to it throughout plus loads of like explicit and extraordinarily strange sexual scenes but it's yeah i mean i know i mean i think i think an adventure is the right is kind of the right way to think of it when it's uh I mean, there is there are certainly serious elements to the story, uh, but it doesn't take itself overly seriously, and it's kind of out to kind of sweep you along yeah. every every moment. Yeah, a lot of reviews you'll see the word sumptuous a lot, and it is uh, a That's beautiful. That's certainly true. It's the, yeah, production design out the wazoo, and it's... everything looks great. You just yeah. want to go and live there, wear those clothes, and yeah. And I think there's obviously so much care and love has gone into it, and there's this uh, lesbian element to the film, which is Sarah Walters' thing, right? Victorian lesbian erotic thriller. That's a sort of niche market and i think the movie avoids having a male gaze because you get the sense that parch and work would just as happily like fuck the furniture or the main guy <laughs> as much as the women yeah like everything is like he wants to have sex with everything in the movie everything is lingered on and fetishized right yeah you just <laughs> but, want to fuck everything in the frame yeah exactly yeah. everything's well, yeah, too I'm, sexy that's true that's true to an extent i mean like i think there's definitely a sort of deliberately like quasi pornographic element to the sex in it it's supposed to be be erotic. Yeah, I don't know if this is a case of lampshade hanging or the movie having its cake and eating, eating it, having its cake and eating, and eating it, eating something else, eating something, <laughs> having a cake and eating a separate cake. <laughs> but because the movie, uh, the antagonists are these misogynists, and it's all about objectifying women and using women for their own gains, either financial or sexual, that it kind of like allows a certain objectification in the film. But I don't know mm. how. I don't know if I'm just like this is so pretty. I don't care. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I think it's a. I don't think like anyone could object to it too much. You know, the women have to do relatively explicit sex stuff, but they have quite rounded characters and they get have great performances and it's all. Yeah, you know, and it's very justified sex very, scene. Yeah, everything is everything is fully. There's justified. so much like loaded sexual tension. It's like you got to see the sex scene. <laughs> Come it's on. been building for like hours. Yeah. Come on. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and uh, yeah, some of the moments are great. The leads are amazing. I really liked the con man, main con man guy, Ha Jun Woo. He's amazing. He's like the ultimate cad dick. Just wears immaculate suits and smokes in every scenes, and it couldn't be any more smarmy. So smug. So smug. Yeah. But I just couldn't help but love him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's great fun. I mean, it's funny. He's playing a sort of con man, but he's one of those guys who is clearly dripping with con. 
You know, <laughs> you wouldn't trust it. Nobody would trust. That's what's so great about him. He's like so clearly untrustworthy. <laughs> it's like Kevin Spacey in House of Cards. Right, guys... exactly. He just swans about like uh, just being so pleased with his own schemes in the most transparent way. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, I think his character is like what you're saying about the sort of like playful tone of the movie, and that he's not a completely serious character. No, and so like every time he turns up, it's like, hey, hey this guy, <laughs> something's gonna happen. Yeah, I think if I had any sort of bone to pick with the movie, I think there's a, a sort of intrinsic issue with these kinds of very, very twisty, turny, everyone's putting on a performance kind of films, which is that when they switch into a sincere mode, at least, I don't know if this is just me, but I find that I, I'm still suspicious. I'm As soon as it's clear <laughs> to me that like the movie is willing to constantly tell you that what you believed was false or whatever, and you know everybody is crisscrossing everyone else, yeah. then I'm, I don't know at what point that process is complete, and now we're just seeing the real person. Yeah. And so it would only really be on a second viewing when I could fully enjoy, like, enjoy the sincere scenes of people actually bonding or having a real relationship, because they're all, they all perform perfectly well when they're not being sincere. So you know you're fooling me too you know what i mean like i'm I, yeah I, I i don't know what i'm not being fooled and so i'm sort of watching the movie through narrowed eyes right up until the end credits and i'm sort of looking back and like oh i get it right that bit was actually uh, supposed to be lovely and heartwarming but i was staring at you <laughs> and i was like uh you're not getting you're not getting me again did you uh, stay for the entire end credits? I was like, sure there no, wasn't a post credit scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I knew there was going to be a sting. She so like ripped end, off but... a mask. And it's like it right. was me all along. Mission, Mission Impossible Two stars. She just tears off a real mask. Tom Cruise is, un- is underneath. This was a lie. This was bullshit. Yeah, they wake up. It, uh, there were, never was an asylum. It was all in your head. But aside from that, aside from that, no. I mean, I think like it's it, it's a relatively light film ultimately. Even though it's got some like dark and fucked up elements, it's just a kind of um, adventure time at the movies. I think at least that's how it feels on reflection. It's been a while since I've seen it, <laughs> but yeah. It, but I mean, it does have the certainly has the satisfying, you know, if re- relatively kind of unsubtle anti patriarchal elements. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's really good. I I, I heartily recommend it. Yeah, it's a really good movie to watch with a large audience because it's a film where there are like gasps and big belly laughs and Absolutely. I don't know, I felt like my enjoyment of the movie was kind of just amplified by seeing it with a crowd. It's like it's cool watching a thriller with a group of people because yeah. like you feel like oh we're all we're doing the same thing like yeah right yeah it's, what it's pe- full of fun surprises yeah what's what people like sports must feel like you know yeah <laughs> yeah. My favorite film stars Bridget Bardot. She's the queen and she wants to be in radio. So she starts a podcast with her friends and the terrorists try to stop her, but she beats them in the end. I think that makes quite a good segue into the next movie because this is another film that is fun to see with the crowd and that is constantly surprising you and making everybody gasp. Yes. So the film is Raw. It's directed by Julia Ducaneau. It is her debut feature film on the back of a short film that she made previously. And it is about a young woman played by Garance Marillier, who's called Justine. And she goes to veterinary school. She is a vegetarian and uh, she encounters a lot of uh, testing and strange hazing rituals there and goes on a kind of journey of self-discovery in a way that goes to some extremely dark and strange places (laughs) that I'm uh, wary to spoil because the less you know, the better. And it's basically a kind of horror film drama high school drama kind of thing coming of age body horror coming of age body horror kind of extreme cinema would have been banned in the 80s but it's also a bit like an episode of skins and that's kind of what it is and if that doesn't make you want to see a film i don't know what's wrong with you yeah 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 it's 
it's brilliant. Um, the more I've sort of dwelt on it, the better it's got in retrospect. <laughs> I just, I absolutely loved it. Um, and I'd be surprised if it wasn't one of my favorite movies. Maybe yeah. we should talk at the beginning about your, your experience watching it. Okay, so I also thought the movie was great, but <laughs> basically there's a one very gory sequence and I was watching it through uh, my, like, you know, through my fingers and uh, then I started to feel a bit lightheaded and I just like passed out for a couple of minutes <laughs> or I don't know. I don't know how long I was out for. I laid a piece together with Deagle. I think I only missed like a minute or so. Yeah, I think, yeah, you probably missed about five minutes. But uh, yeah, like I always, you always hear about this at screenings, but it actually happened to me. It well, was I so think, extreme. I think there were stories in this particular movie of the same thing. Like, well, people, like, I'm one of those guys. Yeah, I, I, you know, I didn't think I was that squeamish, but I am. There's one, one scene got me. The rest of it I was fine with. Well, I think that what, what part of the, what characterizes the way that they do the horror and the gore in this film is that it's, um, well, I can say more broadly about the whole movie is that it's basically playing the psychology of the audience like a fiddle in this incredibly <laughs> expert way. And in a way that is really astounding for a debut filmmaker. It's so brilliantly constructed, this film. But the, the horror elements are all like, like a lot of movies just go for extremes. Yeah. You know, um, or just like jump scares or whatever. And this film isn't about extremes. It's about incredibly precise kind of playing on specific fears or like squeamishness in different ways yes so it's it kind is of, so it's kind of not surprising that like you'd be like one film will make you pass out but like the rest of it you'd be okay because i kind of feel like for every person there'll be one scene in this movie that drives them to the absolute brink you know and then yeah. for like, another person watching it won't won't care yeah it's like it's so uh brilliant at capturing this sort of visceral violence where in the way that i find like someone getting a paper cut is worse than someone being shot in the face because yeah. that's like an abstract piece of violence I can't relate to at all. The paper gun, you feel it but I can, But yeah. I'm like, oh, God. And it's like an extreme version of that kind of violence, which uh, caused my brain found it too and so intense that it just shut me down. I just I can't watch this anymore. just a protection, you know? Just like the shutters descended. It was like, this guy's closed now. Yeah, exactly. He's recovering. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's quite exciting. I mean, that for me, that's the same point of the movie, you know? <laughs> I think that it's great that there's this film that can have that effect, but it's just like... A kind of great and somewhat touching story about someone growing up at the same time yeah i don't know it's brilliant as well as having that ability to produce these very precise psychological reactions in the way that does the horror it's just overall it's just incredibly there's an incredible deafness of touch and there was a piece by film crit hulk a while ago which he's basically talking about tone he wrote some essay about tone and it was the context of inyaritu's movies and how like uh he's sort of hailed as a great filmmaker but his movies are flat yeah like they only want to produce one kind of affect sure sure kind of sort of sense of wonder and like whoa this is you know so soulful and amazing um and he talks about how in like there are other movies where they kind of you know you you feel loads and loads of different things and it doesn't make it doesn't sort of like a grab bag of random different stuff yeah it's it's not incoherent or inconsistent inconsistent. yeah and i think this movie is a really really good example of that i mean there are individual scenes that play essentially like comic farces and actually the scene that made you pass out is a scene which is constructed <laughs> like a farce. Yeah. And uh, there's also these kind of heartfelt family bonding moments. And there's also this kind of extreme cinema gore stuff and like individual shots that are from, like, they just look directly like from horror films. They like, have the imagery of a, of a horror movie. But it, nev- it, ne- it feels completely cohesive, you know, that she knows exactly what she's doing in every second. And you feel like you're in such um, good hands the yeah. whole way through. And also just has this kind of freshness to it because of this weird collision of genres. I mean, just the fact that it's set in a veterinary school is, like, I've never seen a movie set in a veterinary school before. Yeah. So, like, all the, um, you know, high school scenes 
are just different to any high school scene I've seen before because it's like a you know a drugged horse in the corner right yeah absolutely yeah. it's just you know got so much more visual panache to it by its setting um so the narrative is kind of as we as we said several times it's like this coming of age thing it's about growing up and i think one of the things that's very clever about it is the way that it tackles the twin ways in which you can uh, the sort of twin kinds of loneliness that confront you when you are moving out of uh, moving away from home for the first time when you're going to university or just when you're growing up generally and that she enters a kind of foreign world where she doesn't understand the rules and she doesn't know what's going on and it's very disorienting but at the same time when you grow up you're also struggling with crisis of self-identity and you don't know who you are you're changing all the time and like that brings with it its own kind of internal loneliness and the way that the movie is the way that the story unfolds um is every section of the film is kind of constructed to surprise you and to produce things that you don't understand at first and then explain them and it's got that uh one of the things that i actually find like the most satisfying about seeing movies is uh that process of uh being confronted with something that you don't understand but knowing that someone is going to explain it to you and like that's why the beginnings of movies are often the most fun bit because you'll be there'll be this barrage of awesome things that are just like you you appreciate first as images and then as story yeah uh and this movie keeps that feeling going basically from beginning to end uh and every scene is almost like a little adventure it, every scene even the like uh intermediate ones feel like set pieces because there'll be this little thing that you don't get and then it will invert it or surprise it or go like there'll be a right turn in the middle and, and basically what i'm getting at is that the um that that is not only makes for a very satisfying viewing experience but it is also quite a good kind of way to put you in the position of the character because like, yeah absolutely as the as the environment becomes more familiar so it starts very strange and disorienting and it could almost be like some kind of dystopia that she enters and as that comes becomes more familiar the actual direction of the plot becomes more strange so that the like unfolding of like the identity crisis you know takes on the qualities of weirdness that the environment had at the beginning yeah no absolutely it's like um the audience's relationship with the film kind of parallels the character's journey yeah it, does, like, it just does that by so the end well. of the movie you kind of sussed out what the film is and by the end of the movie you kind of sussed out who she is yeah like the and, final yeah exactly like when she knows what's going on you know what's going on yeah. and it's right at the end and <laughs> it's uh and it's it just evokes the that satisfaction of uh the closure of a story well told just beautifully you know and uh yeah i don't know i'm i'm just like kind of in awe of it i thought it was amazing yeah i very much enjoyed it i mean it was tough, I, tough for you tough well for you, but... what greater compliment can i pay this film that <laughs> despite the fact that my brain literally shut down and it was so intense and i felt pretty ill for like a 15 minute stretch in the middle I still left thoroughly enjoying <laughs> Giving it, it a thumbs up. Giving it a thumbs up. Pale and shaking, but <laughs> grinning from ear to ear. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, maybe your, your opinion is stronger because I... You well, know, I've seen all of it. You've seen all of it. <laughs> <laughs> I do I do want to briefly touch on as well, just so we um, close this out, the, uh, that it's, it is very visually um, inventive as well, but um, in a way that doesn't feel like overbearing or show-offy. Like, it's all makes sense you know it's all in service of something and the soundtrack is also very well chosen the visual style of it reminded me a little bit of girlhood and reviewers were comparing it to a girl walks home alone at night and i wonder if you could write something about these up-and-coming female directors who have this like half social realism half genre stylings just making these great dramas long may like awesome like techno soundtracks it's good you should see it 
go. Don't worry. If you're like worried about gore, don't worry about it. It's not even that gory. There's a couple bits that are really gory, yeah, but, but, but mo- the most horrifying stuff is not overtly gory, I think. Yeah. I mean, just decide whether you're a, like, a pussy cuck snowflake like me or whether you're a real man like Sam. And <laughs> we finally determined who is the cuck and it is is definitively as Danny. I wear, I wear the trousers now. When Zach Graff heard something that changed his life, what he listened to? Film child. When John Cusack made a mixtape for his future wife, what did she listen to? Film and when Michael Madsen cut a guy's ear off, what was he dancing to? And when Tim Robbins showed Shawshank that he had enough, which record did he choose? Yeah, 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 yeah. Breaking news just before we started recording is that Jude Law is officially signed on to play young Albus Dumbledore maybe just because his name sort of rhymes in these new Fantastic Beasts, whatever we're going to call them, Fantastic Beasts. And, and where, where and, to find more Fantastic where, Beasts where, where to find them? Yeah. People seem think it's like an okay choice. I think people were petitioning for Jared Harris to take the role because his dad played him. Yeah. And he's a great actor and he obviously looks like his dad, so... Yeah, although, like, you know, it would be slightly odd. I mean, it, within the internal world, it would seem like he, start, like, he looked like a Harris... You know, <laughs> it would sort of establish a Harris continuity. Yeah, you wanted from somebody the first part of the 20th century all the way through to 2003 or something, <laughs> and then he then he actually changed appearance to get to a Gambon. Yeah, you just need a young actor who has the exact facial uh, proportions of Gambon and Harris. Yeah, like the mixture of the two, but he doesn't exist sadly. So they've gone for Jude Law. Do you think it's because you know they were watching the Young Pope or something? Yeah, I think literally, I think that they're is like, like robes. Hmm. Yes, I get it. Robes. Perfect. We're, lo- we're looking for a young version of somebody who's normally old and wears robes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How about that guy? The only, uh, yeah, the only other thing that occurred to me was that, so Johnny Depp, uh, well. I don't think l- it's very good. L- little sp- spoilers, right? Because yeah. this is like a reveal. So Colin Farrell became Johnny Depp. Colin Farrell becomes Johnny Depp. And then now Jude Law's in it. But those are the three actors who took over Heath Ledger's role in Doctor... <laughs> this is such a bizarre connection. In, in Doctor Parnassus. Terry Gilliam yeah. film, Doctor Parnassus. <laughs> I'm just wondering if, like, David Yates just watched The Imaginary and Doctor Parnassus. He's like, those guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they should be in my movie. Well, someone calls him up and they're like, David, we gotta have a decision quickly. He's like, ugh. What's on Sky Movies? Jude Laura, Colin Farrell, uh, <laughs> Johnny Depp. Yeah. The the reason that um, I'm a bit iffy about the choice of Jude Law is that isn't he a bit of a sort of, like, horny you know lat yeah for, for a, shouldn't dumbledore be this what well, I, I mean wow this is oh, it well maybe ah. he was uh he is a hornier lad isn't he because um, him and grindelwald him and grindelwald does this mean we're gonna get some depth on law butt fucking in the next movie i certainly hope so i definitely hope we do i mean jk rowling's she's so progressive on twitter let's see her put her money where her mouth is explicit absolutely gay that is wizard scene like you know you gotta you gotta gotta walk the walk uh, rolling (laughs) come on you know i'm sorry but it is no longer acceptable to simply retcon progressiveness into your otherwise 100 percent down the line straightforwards unchallenging stories you can't just like come you know you can't be like oh actually uh is based on martin luther king and that's why my (laughs) Uh, Harry Potter books are really ahead of their time or whatever it's like no sorry no. you've got to put it in them it's got to be in the text it's got to be like a textual thing alright you can't yeah, have exactly. to deconstruct this and find the wokeness within 
we got to see them some butt fucking basically. Yeah, and or, or to... some at least some some like frotting. Uh, uh, come on, at least, well, preferably both, but a little bit. I want it one. to be. It should be like a gay erotic film. It should be like the Handmaiden, but it should be like the Handmaiden, but like yeah. you know, gender reverse. The Hand Butler. It's it's in a roughly the same correct period of time. <laughs> the Hand, the Hand but Yeah, because that's the opposite of a Handmaiden is a Hand Butler. Yeah, the Hand Butler. Should be that's what it should be called. The Hand Butler. The Fantastic Hand Butler. <laughs> <laughs> the Fantastic Hand Butler. <laughs> Starring G. Law. Yeah. And Johnny Depp. I am actually quite excited at the prospect of a movie in which Johnny Depp and G. Law have a romance. Not really seeing the chemistry between them. Especially given that the way that they set up Johnny Depp's character is like not as a kind of, you know, sex pot. Well, does not Johnny a... Depp have chemistry with anybody these days aside from like a bottle of whiskey? Hey. Well, that's you, a good point. They should have cast a series of scarves and bangles as, <laughs> as a young... <laughs> As young Dumbledore. Do you reckon that's, that's how they lured him for the project? Like, they showed him some, like, concept art of, like, his costume. He's like, yeah. maybe, maybe a few more scarves. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Johnny. Yeah. Will, will, will there be a hat? Oh, there'll be a hat. Oh, yeah, absolutely, Johnny. Oh, God. You get all the hats all the hats you want. You can wear several of them at once. Maybe some, maybe some bangles. Yeah. I mean, all he had to do in that film is spend 15 minutes on set, like, wear a, you know, blonde wig and sort of mumble some garbage, say. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He looks a bit alt right. I saw a picture of him. He's yeah. got the sort of severe haircut and he's kind of Aryan. Absolutely. But yeah. it was was he a Grindelwald like a Nazi? No, he's just like a sort of. I think he is supposed to be a Nazi esque. Well, the Death Eaters are kind of Nazi, Nazi like, are they not? But is he like? Because he's he's like, he's all about like it's all that kind of racial purity stuff. Oh sure, okay. He's like proto Voldemort. Uh yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean that, but that's the whole dynamic of Fantastic Beasts, or like that's sort of the background thing that's going on while they're chasing around the beasts. Oh, I the, see. Is, is all this kind of like uh, Muggle, non-Muggle purity stuff. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, I hope. Hopefully, this is an indication that not simply that somebody watches the Young Pope and the Imaginary Doctor Parnassus uh, who <laughs> works for Warner Brothers, but that it shows that they are taking Dumbledore down an overtly sexual route and making him a uh, you know, horny young lad out to get some dick. <laughs> Fantastic dicks and where to find them. Yeah, that would be that would be my chase away. So the audition tape actually kind of suggests the latter, doesn't it? Yeah. They've released a little clip of the monologue from the next movie that G Law will that will be delivering in character. And so we've heard him audition for it. Yeah. And uh, we're going to play that to you as a kind of outro. It's a lovely little outro treat. Thanks so much for listening. Next week we'll be reviewing some more films. We will be reviewing some more films. The film chat will go on. It will never stop. I think I might go see Their Finest with my mum. This sort of Bill Nye, Gemma Arterton. Look, that looked like total shit. Well, well, I'll let you know. Yeah, thanks. You know, the, here's my thought that struck me about Their Finest. That it's about it's about them making war propaganda, right? Yeah. But it, it is itself it looks like war propaganda. Like they're all the stuff up a lip, like, you know. Maybe. So I'm 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 curious to see how it whether it's this weird You know who they should have got to direct it? Pablo Lorraine. That's his fuck that's, that's his whole that's fucking his whole jam. thing. That's his jam. thing. Yeah, that was an oversight. Yeah, so let let us know about that one. I kinda wanna go see Fast and Furious Eight. That's a proper fucking film. Oh yeah. I'll let you know about the the explosions. Isn't that like two and a half hours long or something? I don't give a shit. I hope it's six. I hope it's six hours long. I hope it's the longest one I've ever seen in my life. Just non non-stop. 
it's just like the most muscles you've ever seen, the biggest explosions, the tiniest shorts on women, all that good shit. That's what I want. Well, the fate of the furious. Let's find out what 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 that is. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. All, all right. right, all right, guys. Speak to you next time. Bye. Bye. Is my cock exquisite? fucking exquisite I think it's a fucking work of art like a Renoir or a Picasso the painting of my cock should hang at the Louvre they should study my cock in art classes Spend whole courses studying the splendid contours of its exquisiteness, they think. They should also study my cock in science class because it defies nature. My cock is hard. It's metal, it's steel, it's titanium. It does not break, it does not weaken. My cock can stand all day like a good soldier trying to impress his superiors. If my cock could win a medal, it would. If they could name a school after it, it should. If it could save small Somali children from starving, it would and shouldn't. It will have a Nobel fucking peace prize for it. The first such prize ever given to a cock. God, my Nobel prize winning cocks like a cheetah. Or sleek and dangerous and deadly sonnets should be written about how dangerous my cheetah cock is. Poems, plays, wars should be won over it. Kingdoms fallen because of it. My cock is lightning, it is fire, it is a volcano brewing with the sacred semen of lava. Oh, sugar and spice and all things. Nice. Sorry for the lack of warning, dearie. Things happen. Sometimes you expect it, sometimes you don't. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.